0: One last time, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read the final paragraph, and this is our last message in the book of Ephesians. Is there more things to say from the book of Ephesians? And the answer, of course, is yes. There's so much more to say, but we're going to move on. Uh, next couple of weeks, we'll look at some reasons why Jesus came in preparation for Christmas. And then after Christmas, we'll begin a series in the book of Acts. Uh, we will not be going all the way through the book of Acts in one long go. Uh, some of you may want to do the math. You may not. It took us about 60 messages to go through Ephesians. Acts could take a bit longer, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to go through a small part of the book of Acts Let's read together, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read for the context, uh, verses 21, 22, 23, and 24, but we're going to focus just on verses 23 and 24 this morning. And Paul is wrapping up, and he's giving his final greetings, and he says, "...so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything." I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. What are you going to say to wrap up a book? Paul has just finished this great letter, and some would argue it's a masterpiece of some of the richest and deepest theology in all the New Testament. He's talked in the chapter 1 and verses 1 to 13 about the glory of God and the salvation that we have and all the spiritual blessings that God has poured out and blessed on us. He's prayed for us to know God's power at work in us in verses 15 to 23 of chapter 1. He reminded us in chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3 that we once were spiritually dead and separated from God. He's described to us God's gracious, regenerating, saving work in verses 5 to 10 of chapter 2. The book of Ephesians is about our new life in Christ, the life that God has given us. He then told us in chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, how we have been united into one new man. He has recounted God's grace using him, Paul, to minister the gospel that others might be brought into the fold and the flock. He pauses again to pray for us to know God's love in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And then in chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, he called us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. He begins the practical application of the truth of the message. In verses 11 to 16, Paul has described to us Christ's ministry gifts to the church, given to us to bring us all to work that we might all come to godly, mature Christ-likeness. And then in verses 17 to 32 of chapter 4, Paul contrasts our old life with our new life and calls us to put off the old man and to put on the new man, to put on Christ. And then in verses 1 to 20 of chapter 5, he calls us to live as beloved children of God, beloved sons and daughters. We're to live in love. We're to live as children of light, walking in the light. We're to live as wise and not as unwise. We're to live being filled with the Spirit of God, singing and rejoicing with hymns and songs and psalms and spiritual songs of praise. And then in 5, verses 22 to 6 and verse 9, he calls us as husbands and wives and children and slaves and masters to live together as godly and Christ-like new creatures in Christ. And lastly, we saw the last few weeks, I think even about two months, we saw how Paul called us to put on the whole armor of God that we may endure the assaults of the enemy against us. Ephesians is Paul's description and call to live the new life in Christ and to live as part of a new community of faith that God is gathering together, his people, into a church. What then are his final parting words to them? How would you finish and wrap up a great book, a great statement like that? A great letter. And Paul does, Paul does, what Paul does is he finishes with what scholars call a prayer wish. It's a combination of a prayer for them and a wish or a commendation to them. Paul's been praying for them through the whole course of the letter. He prayed at the beginning of the letter in 15 to 23. He prayed at the midpoint in chapter 3 and verses 14 to 21. And now he concludes with a prayer wish for them. He commends to them, to us, as he prays for them to persevere in this new life. Paul prays and wishes upon the Ephesians and upon us by implication... Three key blessings from the letter. You got the little outline sheet in front of you in the middle of the bullet and you can follow along. The outline for the message this morning is simply this. We are to persevere in the blessing of God's peace. We are to persevere in the blessings of God's love and we are to persevere in the blessings of God's grace. Read again verses 23 and 24. He says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Ordinarily in those blessings that he's given there, the orders of those words are often usually switched around. So in the beginning of the book, he says, Grace and peace to you. And he says, faith and love. It's almost always in his writings, faith precedes love and grace precedes peace. But here he switches the order around. And by doing that, he places the emphasis on the outflow of those two things. So peace is the outflow of grace. And love is the outflow of faith. Faith in God produces love for God and also love for one another. And that's why I'm saying It is a call, it's a prayer wish of His that we would persevere in the things that we have learned and seen. We don't preach the books of the Bible just to fill up 35, 45, 55 minutes of a Sunday morning service and say, tick, we've done Ephesians, and maybe tick, we've done Acts in some time to come. We don't do it for that. We do it that the Word of God might be proclaimed, that we might be changed and follow in the things we've learned. How many's ever been in a, in a Bible, or not a Bible class, a school room, a classroom, and there's always that one guy who sits in the front and the teacher teaches something and immediately his hand shoots up and he says, do we have to know this for the exam? And you go, Uh, Yeah, he just told it to us, right? And sometimes you get... I I was in an accounting class. I did a a first couple of classes for an accounting degree and uh, discovered I'm no good at accounting, so I quit. But uh, there was one fellow in my accounting class, and he just kept... But every 20 minutes to half hour, his hand would shoot up, and we all kind of like... Because he would say, Do we have to know this for the exam? And finally the teacher said, You know, if you didn't have to know it, I probably wouldn't tell you, right? (laughs) And we all go, Yeah, okay, we got the point. Listen, we're not going through the Bible just to gather up and heap up knowledge to make ourselves smarter so we can argue better and debate better in theology. We're learning these things. We're going through the Scriptures and teaching our way through the Scriptures that we might be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside out, that we might live this life that Christ has called us to live. And Paul is finishing his letter. He's talked about standing firm against the enemy. He's talked about living in love. He's talked about all these things. And he's wrapping up. But what does he do? He's praying and commending to them these three great blessings that God has given to all of us. Not just that we would know them, but that we would live them out. We would persevere to the very end. So our message this morning is simply this. The title is Persevere in the Blessings We've Received. Persevere in the Blessing of God's Peace. Persevere, secondly, in the Blessing of God's Love. Persevere, thirdly, in the Blessing of God's Grace. So first of all, the Blessing of God's Peace. Notice he says in 6 and verse 23, the first part, Peace be to the brothers. Peace is the putting aside of hostilities. Peace is far, far more than just an armistice. We haven't just laid down our arms, but we're still kind of angry and mad at each other. The peace that God has achieved is an unrestrained, full, unreserved reconciliation between God and us. There is now peace between us. Paul is commending and praying that we will have and we will continue, we will persevere in the peace that God has made with us. Notice that peace is from God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The source of our peace is God the Father. We are to persevere in the peace that came from God. It must start with peace with God. We'll never know peace with each other. We'll never know peace with those around us unless there is first peace between us and the living God. You cannot live in peace truly with your fellow man unless there is peace established between you and God. I think uh, I read, I think I was in history class, in History 12, years and years ago, our teacher told us that the UN was established and between the end of World War II, And this day today, there have been world peace for not one year, not one month, not even one week. There have been five individual days where the entire world was at peace with each other. There has always been a war going on. And the reality is we will never understand and know real peace with each other unless there is peace between us and God. Paul says, persevere, peace to you, persevere in the peace that God has blessed us with. We persevere secondly in the peace which Christ has made. You can take your Bibles if you want and flip back over to Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 20. Ephesians 2, 14 to 20, the Bible says this, and Paul is speaking about Christ and he says, He himself is our peace It's Christ who is our peace. He obtained that peace by his death. He says in that passage, he himself is our peace. Christ suffered on the cross bearing the penalty for our sin. He suffered on the cross not just to pay the penalty for us. He suffered on the cross to placate or to soothe the anger of God. Isaiah 12, we mentioned it earlier. For though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away. The Lord Jesus Christ's suffering soothed the anger of God. It's only as we trust Christ that we are reconciled to God. It is only as we trust Christ and believe the gospel that we are brought into peace with God. Christ is our peace. There is no peace possible without the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ created peace within his own body, within one body. In Ephesians 2, it said there that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Prior to the cross of Christ, Jew and Gentile were always enemies, always separated because of that division that was there. Prior to the cross, there's always war of one sort or another between man and man and woman and man. And Christ has made peace between us, bringing us sinners together as saints and believers into one new body. You know the greatest, one of the greatest truths of the New Testament is for us. We are members of each other. No longer does the color of our skin or the place where we were born or our gender separate us. We are now one body in Christ. And when one member of the body is missing or one member of the body is lost, there is a sense of grieving that should happen in the body of Christ because we need each other. God put us together in a body that we might be together to minister to each other, to serve each other, to build each other up, to love each other, to point each other towards Christ. He made peace within one body. And Christ has sealed us with the mark of the peace. The mark of our peace is the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says there in that same passage, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Communication between man and God is through one spirit and we all have the same channel of communication. We all pray in one spirit to the Father. Our means of access to God is through that same one spirit. We have all been sealed. The idea of sealing is like stamping an impression. So as we go around, what should mark us is the presence of the spirit of God in our lives, driving and dictating how we think and what we say and how we respond to each other. This is an aside for a second. I have a friend who has uh, virtually left the church. He was a pastor for many years. And he looked at me one day and he said, Nels, where is the spirit-filled community of believers that the church is supposed to be? And he'd been badly handled and mistreated by the church that he was in. And he was left bitter and discouraged and disappointed. And his answer has to go on outside the church, but that's the wrong answer. It is a good question. Where is the community of believers that are spirit-filled, living in, and marked and sealed by the Spirit of God? Our actions, our words, our thoughts, our love for one another should be driven and dictated by the Holy Spirit. Where is it? Paul says, listen, that Christ has given us access in one Spirit. He has sealed us with His Spirit. We are to be filled with the same one Spirit. It is the Spirit of God in us that enables us and empowers us and produces the fruit or the evidence of His presence. Christ sealed us and marked us with the same Spirit. There is peace. Why? Because the same Spirit that drives my thinking, that dictates how I respond, that gives me the words to say when I speak to you and when I speak to God in prayer, it's the same Spirit that is to be in all of us. Christ sealed us and marked us with the same spirit. It's the mark of the peace that we have. So, brothers and sisters, persevere in the peace and that binds us together. Christ made us one body. We have peace with each other. You know when you meet believers in the street? Or you meet a believer you didn't know was a believer? And right away, there's that affinity. You can go, oh, there's something different about you and I, I, I can... I'm almost positive what it is, and you're not quite sure, and you ask. And as soon as each one discovers the other's a believer, all of a sudden the, the, the conversation just springs to life, right? I think I told you, sitting in a doctor's office, and this guy's talking to me, and I'm talking, and uh, I sort of made a comment about church, and then he made a comment about church, and I made a comment about the Bible, and he made. A, and next thing you know, we're just talking my, my medical problems. We're talking about the fact that we're both believers. And the same Spirit of God that impresses His presence on me In me that changes the way I think and changes the way I speak is the same spirit of God in him. And there is peace. There's a reconciliation. There's a family link between us because of that. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 23, he says, Peace be to the brothers. May peace be yours. It's a sense in which he's both praying it and wishing and commending it to us that we would live and persevere in that peace. So how do we persevere in God's peace? Number one, we rejoice in and we give thanks to God for such rich blessings to people who are so undeserved. I love the fact. The Ephesians 1 starts off and rather than just saying grace and peace for God and for the blessings and give thanks and move on to his main point, he stops and for 15 long verses or 13 long verses, he unpacks and allows his heart to just overflow in thanksgiving and praise to God for all the blessings that we have. How do we persevere in peace? We stop for a moment to rejoice in the fact that God has made peace. Uh, you remember... No, some of you won't remember. A few of you might remember when peace was finally declared in Europe in the end of World War II. And some of you may, oh no. We've all seen pictures, we'll give it that much, okay? We've all seen pictures of the the partying that went on in Europe and in France and in England and America. The the ticker tape parades and people singing and dancing in the streets. Uh, We were watching this uh, British drama set around the end of the World War II. And everybody was getting ready for the big party when they finally announced that peace had been achieved in Europe and they were all stocking up in champagne, and they had flags flying and people were all already in a party mood because they were ready to rejoice in the fact that peace had been declared. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God has made peace between us and Him. It's cause for rejoicing. God is far more glorified in us and by us when we rejoice in and delight in Him and His blessings than we, when we just know them. He gave us those things that we might rejoice and delight in them. Rejoice in the fact that you have peace. Pray for peace to continue in each other's lives. Strive as much as possible to live in peace with one another. What did Paul say? Strive to maintain the unity of the body, of the spirit, in the bond of peace. As much as it remains in you, be at peace with all men. You know what the Bible says? Let love cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that it, it easy or just bizarre, I think, the way family things irritate us? There are some members of my family. I won't say who to protect the guilty. But one of them will irritate the other. And it's like... Why are you getting so upset about that? Because it just irritates me. And they're like, right? And they're all grumpy. And you're like, but but that's just a little thing. It's such a small little thing. Why are you letting that irritate you? And brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it true that we as the family of God can be like that? The little things irritate us about the other one. And Paul says, as much as it remains within you, be at peace Strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit and a bond of peace. Let love cover a multitude of sins. Stand fast in the assurance provided by the gospel of peace. When the the devil begins to attack, as we saw a few weeks ago, stand fast. God has made peace. He cannot take it away. Brothers and sisters, let us persevere. Let us continue in the peace that Paul is praying that we would know. Let us commend peace to one another. Let us persevere as individual believers in the new life of peace that we have with God and with each other. Secondly, let's persevere in the blessing of God's love. Notice what he says in 23 in the second part there. He says, peace be to the brothers and then love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's commending to us. The love that we have received from God and that we're to live in with each other. So let's persevere in the love of God. Let's persevere in appreciation and the experience of God's love. It was God in love who predestined us for adoption. He says that in Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and by implication as daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. The salvation and family life in Christ was no accident. It was no mere chance happening. God designed and planned and moved and worked to bring you into his family. He saw you totally, he saw me totally unworthy and desired to open our eyes and heart to see the immensity of his love and his grace and he planned to adopt us. God in love adopted each of us into his family. God in love caused and moved us to, moved, sorry, God was moved by great love for us to make us alive in Christ. I think this is, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones preached an hour-long sermon on two words, but God. I think they a great sermon. You look it up online if you want to. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, the Bible says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. It was love. Brothers and sisters, it was love that drove Christ to make you alive, to open your eyes. You remember that moment when the gospel just made sense to you? And you remember that moment when you just were craving to have this Christ? You were craving to have that forgiveness and you wanted to be reconciled to God. I can still remember sitting on a bunk in you have a while in Bible camp so many years ago and I understood it, I got it and I just wanted it. It was the love of God at work to make me alive in Christ. God in love made us alive together with Christ. God's love is experienced through faith in him. The Bible says in Ephesians 3, 17 and 19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, you notice what he says in verse 23. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith. So the idea there is that that love is the outflow of faith. So I trust God. And as I trust God, I'm casting myself and throwing myself completely on God for his rescue and his salvation. And that throwing myself on God develops and builds within me a great love for God. So love is experienced through faith in Him. Faith is the channel, if you like, the tube by which we receive both the grace of God and the love of God. And it's also the channel by which we express and communicate back to God that love that we have experienced. We hear the message of the gospel. We see the awe-inspiring beauty of God's holiness. We simultaneously understand the sickening and vile ugliness of our sin. We see and hear of God's love sending Christ to save us, and we trust in Christ. We throw ourselves on Him and plead with Him for salvation. And that pleading, that trusting, that throwing ourselves on Christ builds within us a great love for such a Savior. Love is the fruit and the evidence of our faith in God. And we share and display that love we've received to others. God's love that we know only through Christ. So brothers and sisters, as we wrap up the book of Ephesians, there's so much more to say, but listen. As we go out, continue, persevere in God's love with your mind. What's the command of the Bible? The greatest commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Your mind. So we love God with our mind. How do we do that? We set it on Christ. We meditate on the things that please Christ. We fill our thinking with what Christ likes and pleases Him. We fill our minds with the Scriptures that we might know Christ. I was camp on the weekend up in Sydney with the, the folks there about knowing the incomprehensible God. And isn't enough just to know lots about God? And you know, brothers and sisters, the danger of living in a well-taught, well-established church is you can come in and you can learn so much about God. You can learn so much about Christ. You can know facts down the length of your arm. You can know a dictionary full of facts and information about Christ and never actually know Him. That's a terrible, terrible danger. We love Christ with our mind, not just knowing things about Christ, but knowing Christ personally, deeply, and intimately. We persevere in speaking the truth in love. Love must motivate all our speaking. And here's where God rebuked me. Because, you know, there's a piece of me that likes to be right. And likes to argue. And likes to, to <laughs> debate. And every once in a while I get my clock cleaned by somebody who can debate better than me. And I'm a bit frustrated. But we're to speak the truth in love. It's not about being right. It's not about winning the argument. We can win an argument with great debate and great ability in arguing, and we can lose our brother in the same moment. What a tragedy if we win the argument and lose our brother and our sister because we've done it in an unloving and ungodly way. We speak the truth in love to one another. That doesn't mean we avoid the hard topics. It doesn't mean we put aside the things that we know are going to cause a difference, a difficulty between us. It means that we speak to one another out of a love to see the other person grow in their understanding and grow in their relationship with Jesus, and we speak the truth in love. Why is it I preach the gospel in a church that is filled with so many people that profess Christ? Because in love for the whole body that's here, my fear is that some of us may have deceived ourselves into thinking that we're truly saved, and maybe we really aren't. And so in love, because I want to see all the family of Noble Park stand on that final day when Jesus gathers and separates sheep from goats, I want them all to be gathered as sheep to the Lord's right hand. And so I speak the truth in love. We persevere in it. We persevere in loving each other with the love that Christ has displayed us. He says in Ephesians 5, verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Living before each other and loving each other means being willing to sacrifice for the sake of the other. How tragic it is when the church sees men and women fleecing the flock taking advantage of one another, taking money, taking whatever else that they can get and gain from each other. That's not what it's for. We're here to love one another with the love that Christ gave us. So how do we persevere in this love that God, that Paul is commending to us? We rejoice in and we give thanks to God for such a rich blessing. It's the same way that we persevere in peace. We give thanks and we rejoice in the love that God has shown toward us. No romantic gesture can even come within infinity of the love that Christ has shown towards each of us in dying on a cross. The Bible's a great verse for God so loved the world or even better for God loved the world in this way. He gave not chintzily. He gave extravagantly. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. We give thanks and we rejoice for love like that. We rejoice in it. We follow Paul's example and pray for those blessings in each other's life. When was the last time, I asked myself the same question, when was the last time that you give thanks and pray that your brother and sister in Christ would fully know the love of Christ? Just take your Bible, flip back a couple pages. Uh, This is Paul's prayer in 3 and verse 16. Let's know what he prays. 3 verse, uh, to catch the flow, pick it up in verse 17. Paul is praying for me. He prays it so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length of and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Do you see what he's doing? He's praying for us. He's praying for the Ephesian believers specifically, but by implication, he's praying for us also, that we would have the strength to grasp the love of Christ that was given to us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for one another. Pray the real things. Pray that we would each have strength to comprehend the love of Christ that's been poured out and displayed toward us in the cross in is gathering us together. You know when God in love puts you into this church, God in love put us side by side. You say, why would God put me in, in love beside the big guy at the front? He's a bit abrasive. He rubs people the wrong way. Why would God put us in love side by side? Each of us a little bit abrasive, a little bit rough around the edges. I'll use George and I as an example. He puts us together. Why? Because we're both like sandpaper. And as we get up alongside each other, we're both like sandpaper on wood and we begin to rub each other. And what happens is God uses George like rough sandpaper on me to sand me down and smooth me out. And God uses me like rough sandpaper on George to sand him down and smooth him out. And as time goes by, the lumps and bumps and roughness of each other's character gets knocked off. And we begin to have intimate and close fellowship with each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we persevere in speaking the truth in love. We persevere in bearing and enduring one another in love for the other. Why? So that God can use each of us in the other person's life. It's a tragedy. It's a huge tragedy when someone leaves a church disgruntled and unhappy. Because all they've done is they've stepped in and interrupted the work of God in their life and the work of God through them in everybody else's life, and they've stepped out of that. Now they go to another church, and the work of God begins all over again. God put us in love in this body together. We're to persevere in that love. We're to give thanks for the love that we have. We're to pray for one another that we each have the strength to know the love of God. We're to pray that the love of God might overflow amongst us. Pray for your own heart as well. Pray for your own heart to be constantly seeking to love each other. Pray and deliberately choose to love one another, even when there's tension. That's hard. He says, that's not, that's not easy. You know, I, I prefer my Christianity a little bit distant, so, you know, I don't get hurt and I don't do any hurting. And that way we can all just kind of have our little world. Someone described. I think it was Swindoll. Tucksman dolls describe fellowship like this. Uh, do they have, are there porcupines in Australia? I can't remember. We have echidnas, right? The little tiny guys. They got spines, yeah. Okay, they're cute. I gotta say, I almost ran over one the other day. But they are really cute. And he said, Christian fellowship is like this. It's like a group of, of echidnas getting together on a very cold winter night, in order to get warm. They huddle up against each other. But as soon as they get close enough to each other, you know what happens? The spines shoot out, right? And then they prick each other and they jump back. And then they're cold against. So they snuggle back up against each other. And then the spines shoot out and they prick each other and they jump back. It's like the slow, weird dance almost, you know? And Christian fellowship can just be like that. We need each other. God put us together in a family to work alongside of one another. But isn't it remarkable, as soon as we get close to one another, and as soon as that fellowship begins to build and we're learning and growing, the spines shoot out and we jump back. Brothers and sisters, Paul commends to us, he says, love with faith. Uh, The thought there is peace be to you and love be to you with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we finish this great book? By calling each other and pleading with each other to persevere in peace, persevere in love and finally persevere in the blessing of God's grace. He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. He says, grace be on those who love God unfailing and unfading. It just carries on. Grace is God's freely given unearned favor toward us. Not one person in this room who knows Jesus as Savior deserved God's grace. The very fact that we didn't deserve it makes it grace. Do you realize that? If you deserved, if you thought that there's something inside of you that makes you acceptable in God's sight, all of a sudden grace is yanked out of the way and it's contract. He must give you his favor. But none of us, not one of us deserve the favor of God. And that's what makes it such rich grace. We don't deserve his grace. We have no right to his grace There is no way to earn the grace of God. My dear friend Ken, who comes in here, he goes to a Jehovah's Witness church, and he comes in here and we endlessly debate Jehovah's Witness versus Christianity and why that system is so failing. I said, Ken, you can't do it. You cannot earn God's favor. You can't witness to enough people. If you had eternity left to witness to every single person for one single second, it still would not be enough to earn you God's favor. Let's bring it to our context. You can't go to church faithfully for long enough to earn God's favor. You can't memorize enough verses to earn God's favor. You can't read enough scripture to earn God's favor. You can't do enough good works. You can't give enough money. You cannot do anything. Not only is it not possible but hard to work at, it's not even possible. We have no right to God's grace. We can't earn God's grace. We are only deserving and worthy of God's unrestrained anger and wrath against us. He calls us in Ephesians 2, Children of wrath or sons of wrath, sons of disobedience. Let me read the verse rather than misquoting it. He calls us in Ephesians 2 verse 3. He says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's that mean? It means children destined to face the wrath of God. That's the only thing we deserve. But instead, God gave us rich and amazing grace. He gave us his unearned favor. We're to continue steadfast in God's grace. He is the source of it. We're to continue steadfast in the unfailing love for Christ who saved us. And we know as we continue in that love for Christ, His grace is being poured out on us. It's almost circular. We have grace and so we love and so we love and so we have more grace and so we get grace because God loves. It just goes around 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 in a way. God's grace is poured out on us as we respond in love for our Savior with an unfailing, unfading love. We're to continue steadfast. We're to persevere, enabled by God's grace to minister to one another. You say, you know what? It's hard ministering to one another. You're right. It is. It's tough. I'll tell you without one hesitation and one shadow of a doubt, I could not do this job without the grace of God enabling it. I don't have it in me. Nobody has it in them. And there's no difference between me and you in this sense. You need the grace of God to minister to your brother and sister in Christ just as surely as I do. You probably need it more. No, actually, I need it more. No, we all need it. There's no more. (laughs) We all need God's grace to minister. And Paul says, look, God gave me grace to be an apostle, to proclaim the gospel so that others might hear and know the message of Christ and be gathered into that one body. We need the grace of God, the unearned favor of God that we might minister to one another. We come alongside one another to share a word of the gospel, to share a scripture, to pray with one another. To put out our hands and feet and practical help for one another, that requires the grace of God. You can do it for so long in your own strength, but ultimately it's going to fail. But when we do it in the grace that God has supplied, the other person is blessed and they respond in praise to God. And we're blessed. It never ceases to amaze me. You know, i got so much time, and you want to pack in so many things in ministry and so much time, and you think, oh, I just I just don't want to do this today. I, I need to do other things. And you step out in faith, and you reach out to minister to somebody that you'd maybe rather do something else instead. And it never ceases to amaze me how much I come away blessed, far more than the blessing that I left behind. Why? Oh, because it's God's grace at work. And brother and sister, you feel compelled for a moment to reach out to minister to another brother or sister. You see someone who is hurting, and you think, "Oh, maybe I'll give them a call. Maybe I'll get involved. Maybe I'll come alongside and pray for them. Maybe I'll go visit somebody to see how they're doing and to try and cheer them and encourage them in their walk with the Lord." And you think, "Oh, just oh, it's too hard. You know, I don't want to. You know," and you pull back. Let me assure you, you step out in faith. And you begin to minister in the grace that God supplies, you will receive a blessing far more than you can imagine. Paul says that I was given grace to minister to you. Grace was given to Paul. Grace is given to us also that we might minister the word of God to each other. God has given each of us gifts to exercise so that the building up of the whole church might happen. So how do we persevere in the grace that God has given? It's the same thing again. We rejoice in and give thanks to God for such grace. We pray for grace to continue and abound in each other's lives. We strive as much as possible to live with grace for each other. Again, that verse, let love cover a multitude of sins. Brothers and sisters, as we wrap up Ephesians, let's persevere. Persevere as individual believers and as a church family living the new life in Christ, knowing it's all because of God's grace to us. Persevere, beloved. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep running the race. Keep finishing the walk that God has called you to. book of Hebrews calls us to lift up our eyes and set our eyes on the prize that's before us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. Don't give up. Keep going. Persevere in it. Persevere in the rich blessings that God has blessed us with in Christ Jesus. These are all blessings that we have only in Christ. You don't have them because you earned them. You don't have them because God gave them to you outside of Christ. They're only in Christ. These are rich blessings that we enjoy because the Father has set us apart for salvation. These are rich and glorious blessings that we have peace and love and grace because Christ came to earth. He lived as a mere man, truly man, yet truly God, and Christ died to purchase our salvation. These are blessings that we enjoy, but we cannot earn. And the Holy Spirit has applied that salvation that Christ purchased to us. He's opened our eyes to see the truth. He's awakened us to repentance and faith in God. And He has sealed us and stamped His presence in us and on us. He indwells in us in ever-increasing influence to transform us into Christ's image. And all those things are what God's doing in us. But you know, the call is still the same. The call on us throughout the letter is to live in light of these great truths, to persevere, brothers and sisters, in these great blessings. Press on. Don't give up. Live in light of the great salvation that God has given you. But I can't stop. I can't finish until I first address the other part. What about those of you sitting in this room who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord? What about you sitting here and you're thinking, I would love to have this blessing. I'd love to know what it is to have peace with God and peace with man, but I don't have it in my own heart. God longs to pour these blessings out on you also. God who is infinitely holy and glorious in his righteousness, God created you and I with the purpose that we might know him and relate to him. But sadly, we've sinned. We have failed to glorify God in everything that we do. The penalty for our sin is death, eternal death under God's wrath. But God, in immense love and grace, sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross. He sent him to die, to shed his lifeblood, to wash away our sin, to wash away the guilt that we have on our conscience, to set us free from sin. He suffered, Jesus suffered unspeakable agony and shame in your place and mine. And praise the Lord, praise God. Our Savior is not no longer lying in a tomb. He is now seated alive beside his Father. God now calls all of us. He calls us to repent of sin and to believe the gospel, to follow Jesus Christ. And God promises that these blessings, all these blessings we've been talking about, the blessings of being filled with His Spirit are to be yours and ours. If only we would believe and repent. you can come into this church week after week after week after week and listen to one message after another. Sing one hymn after another. But the question has to be put to you, and I'm going to put it to you this morning. Will you repent of sin and trust the Lord Jesus Christ and know what it means to be truly saved? To enjoy the immense blessing of the Spirit of God filling you and empowering you to live in obedience for Him. Will you do it? Because without that moment of repentance, you feel inside of you a longing. There's something that says, I've just got to have that. That's the Spirit of God beckoning and calling, Come unto me, all you who are labor, and I will give you rest. Will you repent of sin and trust the Lord Jesus Christ and know what it is to be truly saved? Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's persevere. Press on. Don't give up. God is finishing the work that he began in each of us, and he is going to. He promised that he would do it, and he always keeps his promises. Persevere in the peace that we have from God. Persevere in the love that we have from God. And persevere in the grace that we have from God. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we come before you again and we realize in this moment, O God, again, that there is nothing that we could do to earn your favor. There is nothing in us that would make you desire to save us. Father, we thank you that it was all of grace. It was love that drove you and motivated you to make us alive. It was love that caused you to pour out your spirit on us, to fill us, To enable us to live and walk before you. Father, it was grace. It was mercy that you held back the punishment that we so deserved. Father, it was kindness to see those who could not and would not help themselves. And you reached out. Father, we thank you for that reaching out toward us. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ has come. And he has suffered and died on a cross. Father, we thank you and we rejoice that he is indeed raised from the dead and seated at your right hand. Father, we thank you for the fact that you have given us new life in Christ. Father, we thank you for every single believer in this church. Father, we thank you that they also have experienced grace. And Father, we realize again that none of us has arrived. None of it. None of us has it all figured out but the work of God, that your work in each of us is ongoing. Father, we pray that we would persevere in that peace, letting love cover a multitude of sins. Father, in grace and in striving to maintain the peace between us, we would love one another. We would build one another up as we share scripture and pray for one another and minister to each other. Father, we pray for this church that peace would rule Your peace. Father, we pray, too, that love would mark us. The Lord Jesus said, O God, that they would know us by our love. And, Father, no doubt it grieves your heart immensely to see the newspapers splashing stories, not of love, but of greed and theft and sin rank among the church. Father, help us. Father, we plead with you that we would each love the other with the love that we have experienced from Christ. Father, we plead with you that we would show grace to one another, that we would live in this grace that you have poured out on us, that we would be marked by grace. Father, we thank you and we ask you for these things to be rich in each of our lives. Father, we pray for this church. We plead with you, O God, that we would stand and we would endure as society around us and even other churches, those claiming to follow you, are turning away from what the Bible teaches. Father, we pray that we would, as a people of God, faithfully follow you all the way to the end, living in obedience to the truth, living in the joy and the delight of our Savior. Father, we pray, too, for this neighborhood right around us. Father, we pray that you would use us to reach them to put the gospel message in their hands that they might respond and believe and understand the truth of the gospel. Father, we pray that you would build your church. Father, not necessarily Noble Park Baptist, but build your community of faith worldwide. True believers following and loving and serving and obeying you. Father, we plead with you all these things, and we ask, oh God, that you would hear our prayers. And Father, we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Amen.